This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration. This is the George A. Romero Appreciation Month. We are continuing the streak by doing a, something a little bit more off the beaten path. Uh, this week, we are going to be doing the 1972 release Season of the Witch. Uh, to not be confused with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which is an entirely different film, non-Romero related. But uh, the original title was Hungry Wives, or Jack's Wife, it was alternately known as. But yeah, we'll get off uh, into this movie in a deep dive discussion with my two brilliant co-hosts here. Welcoming to the show for the first time, I'd like to welcome both Jesse Seats and Marcus Cook. How you all doing tonight? Hello. Hello. We missed you guys. Oh, we miss you missed too. Missed you. <laughs> We used to gather for, for those listening out in, in the ether, we used to gather for dinner and movie nights about once every other week here. But thanks to COVID, I can't even tell you the last time I've seen you folks. It, it's been, God, forever. It's probably been yeah. about a year. Yeah. yeah. We took yeah. off on the road around 
uh, November 1st to do a couple of films down in Alabama and uh, Mississippi. And then when we got home, uh, like the third or fourth of March, everything closed down like two weeks later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> been 2020 locked. has been like a fucking wash, hasn't it? <laughs> in so yeah. many ways. Absolutely. It's uh, it's weird because it's almost like time has done this weird like frozen uh, thing. You know, in some ways it doesn't seem like it's been an entire year. But I guess that's what you get when you've like effectively like stared at the wall for <laughs> a whole year. Um, so it's almost like weirdly like the year that didn't happen. Um, but then in other right. ways it's felt like a decade. So I don't know. Like what is time anymore? You know, like. <laughs> right. Time is very, very relative. <laughs> like I, I was shocked that it was uh, Sunday today. Uh. <laughs> well, I remember when we talked on the phone earlier. I was like, had to remind you, like, what day is it? Sunday? Wait, Monday? Fuck, I don't know anymore. Does it matter? Does it really even man- matter? It's, it's a day it's that ends March in Y. Three hundred and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, our deep dive discussion today, we're, we're doing one of the ones that that Romero uh, directed that. Doesn't get enough recognition, doesn't get enough mention. Uh, I got to be honest with you folks. uh, I don't believe I had ever seen this film until recently. I know for a fact in my heart that I saw it when I was younger, but I didn't remember one single frame of it. (laughs) So whether this has been a completely first-time watch or a blind rewatch, that I just completely blocked out of my mind when I was a young and um, I'm not sure which, but this movie is quite the mind screw. I think that's about the best way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, very sixties kind of psychedelic. It's weird. It's trippy. Um, you know, and I, I hadn't watched it since I was a kid too. Like, you know, I I'd go down the line renting stuff at the video store. And so I, I don't remember much from it other than it was weird. <laughs> and it, it's at a very interesting point in Romero's career, too, because um, now, and maybe he's denied or confirmed this in an interview somewhere in the past, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong in this assumption. But um, even though, you know, he started out with like kind of ultimate zombie movie, I don't get the sense that Romero really had intended to be a horror movie director um, explicitly Uh, when he first started. He just sort of like, that was like his first movie. That's what he felt called to. It was a great concept, you know, of course, with Night of the Living Dead. And so Season of the Witch sort of appears in this weird, like, mid-pre-Romero actually finding himself (laughs) where he wasn't, like, exactly doing, like, horror. It was more like this very interesting like art house stuff that he was trying to like dip his toe into so like and especially like when we were like rewatching it um today I, I sort of like was like you know this actually is really reminding me of like some old school um uh you know like Jean Rolin or Roman Polanski and, and and I think that maybe like Romero was like very inspired by that sort of movement that was going on in like the late 60s early 70s and you really see that with like there's always vanilla and and even to some degree like martin because i mean whereas martin is technically a vampire film it's still like very art housey you know so it's hard to kind of 
yeah, it, it's a, it's an abstract concept of a vampire film, you know. So it's like it's weird to go back and look at it because obviously now we don't really remember Romero as an art house director. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, we think of him as like the gore guy. We think of him as like the horror guy. So yeah, it was kind of synonymous with horror it. and zombies you know, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like creep show and things like that. So it's um, it was like, it was really funny to be like, Oh yeah. He had this like, weird spurt at the beginning of his career where he was really trying to like be like Roman Polanski. <laughs> it was like Roman Polanski meets Warhol in a yeah. very weird sort of way. Yeah. And, I mean, and the I opening have... sequence is just one long, very nightmarish, uh, uh, like experimental student film. Yes. Yes, it does really play like a student film, which is interesting because I feel like that this is like, it was his third or fourth feature length by this point, right? Like, yeah, this is was right after There's Always Vanilla, and he had, uh, well, he had one before um, Night of the Living Dead that I can't remember the name of. This, it's, that was just a short film, you know, but this, it was, this was, was his third feature. His third feature, you know, so it's like by this point, you know, he's... He's rocking and rolling, and but you know it did have a very like experimental like student film feel to it, you know, which isn't always inherently like a bad thing, you know. But it was just uh, kind of interesting to see that, you know. It was, um, you know, if we're if we're critiquing, you know, it, it's a little clunky, right. you know. Um, it, yeah, it's a little clunky, but I I would kind of actually. <laughs> You know, and I might get crucified for saying this because I know this is always a controversial suggestion, but I actually think that this is one of these films that might be interesting to see a revamp of, like take that source material and maybe like realize it like a little bit better with like a bigger budget. And I think it could be actually pretty interesting without treading on like some kind of holy grail film, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, and not like retreading and doing Night of the Living Dead again, you know? Where everybody's remade it, or Day of the Dead, or Dawn of the Dead. You know, there's no reason to remake what I consider perfect or, or near perfect films. You know, and this is a movie that, you know, while being a good movie, has its imperfections. And I, I, I do agree. Usually, I, I shy away from remakes, but I was talking with a buddy of mine that I work with today and <clears throat> talking about this movie, and I had said the same thing. I'm like, I think this is the kind of movie that we talk about. That's like. Why remake a great movie when you can remake a movie that's, you know, good but flawed? And I think with a bigger budget and, you know, not shooting on 16 millimeter, you know, uh, being all experimental and whatnot. I think Romero had even said out of all his films, this is the one that he could see being remade. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I read that on uh, the wikipedia page yesterday uh -huh. and, and that probably means that also as like a director that he didn't quite get to do everything he wanted to do with it you know which as a director myself i can obviously like relate to that not comparing myself to george romero on any level but you know definitely the sentiment of like ah oh, man you know i really wish that this had gone differently you know and i would you know, love to see someone else do this or maybe redo it myself, you know. And that's always kind of like a bittersweet feeling because you don't want to, like, dwell on your work, but sometimes, like, you kind of know when it needs to be better. Yeah, you need needs to know where it, uh, it needs to be uh, 
polished a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> now, uh, our main character, uh, you know, Jan White, or uh, the actress Jan White, who plays Lee Joan Mitchell. Yeah. She's very hard to watch, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but <laughs> her performance is very, very wooden. Yeah, you know, most of the time she's, yeah, just kind of staring off blankly into space. And, you know, but, uh, you know, a handful of times you see her, like, having a conversation. And then you can, you, you see, like, okay, she's, like, you know, more like a person. So it's, like, it's weird because she really flip-flops between, like, the weird, confused, like, wife. And then, like, oh, here's normal life. And I'm with my friends and having, you know, very animated conversations. Like, yeah, and I think, you know, again... You know, like, I guess the filmmaker thing, there's no consistency to her character, like, because it's always jumping, like, is she scared and crazy or is she normal? (laughs) Right, right. And you never quite know, at least as I started watching it from scene to scene, what's real or not? What's in the nightmare world of hers? You know, what is she dreaming? Yeah, she jumps in and out of nightmares a lot. Yeah, I mean, which is fun. You know, you can do a lot with that. Well, you know, it, it can keep you guessing from moment to moment, which it certainly did for me, because with the with that, there's a lot of weird sound design, especially in those opening couple of scenes. Oh, the yeah, opening like sound it. effects and the music is very trippy. Wow. And... <laughs> yeah, she's like, yeah, yeah, walking and her husband's like reading the paper, drinking coffee, and she's like, you know, following him, getting slapped in the face with all the branches. Like, <laughs> it, it's almost right. like ridiculously funny. But it's it's something that like maybe he had dreamt, because <laughs> I could see that being like a real dream, you know. It's, it's like one of those like just where like yeah, you're following someone and just get slapped in the face, and then it's just like you you hit this like recycle where it's like slap slap slap, and you can't get out of that mode for a moment. Right? Yeah, it's like a, a hiccup in the matrix. You know, something just goes on and keeps repeating itself and repeating itself. And then you have this whole, like, very interesting, like, bit about, like, like, I feel like the movie um, subtext was really about, like, this women aging in general Mm -hmm. and, like, maybe, like, pre-menopausal, like, not fully there yet, but, like, knowing that, like, shit is changing. Yeah. Like, midlife crisis. Yeah. Because he was clearly younger than these women that he cast in his film. You Mm -hmm. know, he cast, like, an older thing, you know, or an older cast. But, but yeah, they, they all brought, like, this sort of, like, weird sadness to the script, and there's, like, this sort of, like, weird um, understanding that Romero seemed to have, like, um, you know, in the context of the film of, like, you know, these women are, like, you know, she's clearly, like, jealous of her daughter, you know, and having a breakdown, and it's, like, her husband doesn't really want her anymore, and then, you know, you have the one friend who, like, tries pot to prove that she's cool, and then has, like, that freak out, which I'm like, is this supposed to be an anti-marijuana movie? (laughs) (laughs) That bitch went from zero to 60 fast. (laughs) Yeah, like, for a moment there, I was just like, did I all of a sudden, like, get tricked into watching a remake of, like, Reefer Madness or something that I didn't know? (laughs) And it was just like this faster, faster. I was like, "Did she dab or what?" I mean, I'm like, it's a couple hits of a joint, and she's just like, "Oh my god, my heart!" I'm like, "All right, well, that's not realistic, but okay." But you know, but still, it's supposed to be like, "Oh yeah," like they're trying to be like hip and cool, but you know, at what cost? (laughs) And so that was sort of smoking of weed. Oh lord! But the, the 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 first note that I have, other than 
about the weird sound design and how uh, it gets trippy and then trippy gets even trippier is that when Jack goes to kiss her goodbye in the beginning, that kiss missed by like a mile. That's yeah. worse, like, yeah. a, a, worse than a movie punch, you know, it's just like that missed by a mile. Like he wasn't trying. He, he, it, it hammers the point home that they have a very unhappy marriage, like right off the bat. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like that tension, that weird tension. And, and like, he's like totally like a dick to her, like in dream life and weird life. Yeah. He's always like, just go back to sleep or something. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> well, <laughs> you, and then you started slapping me in your sleep. Yeah. Like, just go back to sleep. I've got the bruises to prove it. <laughs> yeah, like me and my little bruises. Like really guy. Uh, and then the doctor, the, the doctor that they only show a couple of times, he has, uh, he might be the worst, like, psychiatrist ever, because he's the least qualified person to understand the dream is the dreamer. I'm like, wait a minute, now, really? I'm, I'm like, I don't know how much truth there is to that, because I've never done you know, a deep dive into, you know, dream therapy or dream hypnosis or anything like that, but... I would think the person who has the dream would probably be able to interpret it better than a, a perfect stranger, but maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm <laughs> more in tune with my dreams, but that doctor was... Did that doctor not feel like he was an extra, <laughs> a, a doctor extra out of an Ed Wood movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, but then they get the little gossip circle where everybody's talking about Marion, who's, she's a witch. And that's where you kind of get your first you know, a little bit of the, the witchcraft angle that's coming into it. But I, I did make another note. I did enjoy the fact of their party games. And I, I'm totally going to take advantage of this one day when we're able to get together and have parties. I'm going to, like, create this, like, you know, like the TV show that they were talking about, their favorite TV show out of the party game by asking people questions. I'm totally going to do that. I'm going to take that note. <laughs> Excellent. No, and I didn't understand, like, when she was being shown the the house, when she was being shown uh, the house, the, the nightmare oh, yeah. sequence, where it was like, this is Bobby, et cetera, et cetera. He does everything, et cetera, et cetera. Here's your big stack of checkbooks that's, like, a mile high. Here's the food and everything else you'll need. And here's the phone numbers you need, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And oh, there's just such a really weird yeah. scene. It's just like, okay, we're reintroducing you to your mundane life, a.k.a. This is your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) This is your daughter. Yeah, don't worry about her. But, yeah, Nikki the daughter, you know, usually, like, the kid characters in movies like these, you know, the the angst-ridden teenager are annoying as hell. And I end up hating them. But I didn't really end up, like, disliking the Nikki character. She's just really disinterested in her mom and like has no interest in, you know, the old folks. It's like her worst characteristic possibly. And then just kind of goes away, you know, and it's like, oh, she ran away, but then they like never resolve that. <laughs> well, we can jump ahead a little bit. There is a part where yeah, she Yeah, yeah, I don't want to jump yeah, too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but they still never nothing ever comes of it. it yeah, it, yeah. I don't. I, the yeah, film is I, full I, of a lot of unresolved things. <laughs> so, what what do you guys take from the the tarot card reading with Marion, where she kind of gives the the ladies, you know, a what do you call it, a, a quick one hundred and one on witchcraft? 
which I don't know. I don't know anything about witchcraft. I'm not well versed in it, you know. But um, yeah. I mean, she could. Jesse could probably speak on a tarot uh, card reading. Like you know, like my kind of thing is you know a lot of things like that. You know, kind of come across as like vague psychic. Like you know, anything they say you could apply to any point in your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Jesse could probably answer this a little more like eloquently. <laughs> Because that's my view. <laughs> I mean, I just think that it was a, a little bit of a, a trope, you know, that they're kind of exercising on there. It, to me, it came off as like a very typical, like, Hollywood interpretation of, like, witchcraft, which, um, you know, uh, <laughs> you're not often looking at, like, a very good, you know, like, view of it. There's sort of, like, this knowledge that started, you know, like, back when they filmed The Wolfman <laughs> of, like, oh, right. this is, like, fortune teller and this is like magic and then like most Hollywood people like never bothered to like actually read a book on it <laughs> and so they're still just going into like these little myths or or maybe they read a book but it was like written by you know like a Christian who thinks all of it's like satanic <laughs> and and so they like write in these few little lines like oh well I'm gonna really look like I know what I'm talking about and toss this in but like you know as, as someone who is like um you know, practices. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all of that's like terribly like inaccurate, but it always is. I mean, it's the it same felt like, terribly inaccurate. I watched it. I'm just like, I don't know if any of this is even realistic or accurate at all, but it like, it felt very movie tropish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unless you're watching like a Richard Stanley movie, I wouldn't really like, um, take to heart too much of what anyone says about like witchcraft and yeah. movies or, or like hereditary <laughs> yeah like, hereditary really, was very some accurate deep, 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 deep accurate stuff yeah it was oh, almost like but that's another podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast worth it well knows. maybe one day we will cover hereditary on another show but <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later but yeah yeah the the when she kind of has the you know witchcraft 101 scene it felt very uh like playing this not fan service but playing service to like okay here, like you said like we learned one or two things out of a book here we'll throw these little nuggets in, into the script and we'll appear like we're intelligent about this sort of thing when we really don't know anything well and that stuff was like so chic back when he made this movie oh, too absolutely. like you know like, i mean church of satan was just kind of like a big booming thing and a lot of Hollywood people actually got into it. And it, and surprisingly, a, a lot of older people, I was going to kind of get into that a little bit later towards talking about the end of the film. But yeah, it was it, the, the time, you know, the late 60s was booming for, you know, Church of Satan, you know, in Hollywood. And all kinds of cults and stuff. And so I think that just as a filmmaker, you were just, maybe even felt like halfway obligated to like weave it into your script, you know, because it was all like, you know, through the late sixties and really up until the late seventies. I mean, there was a solid 10 years where that shit was just everywhere. And, you know, in varying budget levels too, you know, anything from like a smaller budgeted film, which of course season of the witches to like a large budgeted film, like Rosemary's baby, which they actually referenced in this movie. Yeah. They I referenced thought. Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <laughs> I made a note of that. I was just like, oh, made a reference to my least favorite movie of all time. Oh, <laughs> snap. All right. <laughs> yeah. Drawing lines in the sand here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One, okay. I'll, I won't say my least favorite, one of my least favorites, but it, it ranks right up there. But again, that's that. 
that's a show for another day. I actually got invited to do uh, Rosemary's Baby on another podcast, and I refused because I was like, if you're wanting to pay tribute to this film, I'm the last person that you want to, to, to do it because I will be the curmudgeon old man. It'll be kind of like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino just on the cor- corner, just like it all on. <laughs> I definitely have my my stuff like that. My my big thing is always like I really really dislike John Lennon and the Beatles, and then like everyone just is like, oh my god, like they like clutch their pearls like when I say that, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Grateful Dead is like where it's at. Uh, you know, I, I can't help that I was like an acid head as a teenager, but. <laughs> well, right. We we all have our little things where, <laughs> but see, I think that you should be on that podcast though if you didn't like it because you know you got to have like some dissenting opinions. You know, somebody's got to tell the emperor he's naked. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's got <clears throat> got to tell him. I listen, pal. You ain't got no pants on right now. <laughs> but like, it, you know, it's kind of funny because then even. Marion talks about, uh, you know, she says she's a witch. She's kind of given them some information on it. She talks about voodoo and the power of belief and kind of discounting those ideas. Well, that's Greg. I'm sorry. That's Greg that talks about that. Yeah, and Greg yeah, is Greg. just. You that, know, that's, I, that's a character like fucking uh, <laughs> deep dive into. Oh, God. Yeah. What if. Like, was he with the daughter? Was he fucking the daughter or not? I think so. I think he was the one that was fucking the daughter while Joan was in the next room listening, where she comes home and starts hearing the moaning coming from upstairs and she starts listening and kind of getting into it because then, you know, Jack, he loses his shit, you know, at, at her. Well, you know, the, the daughter even loses her shit at, at Joan, which, you know, can you blame them? <laughs> should, should a mother be listening to her daughter fucking a guy in the other room? I mean, uh, you know, yeah, she doesn't deserve to be slapped over it and stuff by Jack, which I thought was like a horrible fucking reaction because what a piece of shit Jack is. It, whether he's in yeah. the dream world or he's in reality, he's just a huge piece of oh, shit. Oh, yeah, like slapping her with a newspaper like a dog in her dreams. <laughs> Or slapping with all all the the, the branches over and over again while he's calmly uh, drinking his orange juice and eating a hard-boiled egg. That was some settling imagery. (laughs) (laughs) But, God, okay, like, the the great character, even though he's just a slimeball. He's just the Raymond Lane that plays him, plays him very well. You know, he plays him to a T. He's the kind of character you love to hate because you need you need a bad guy, whether he's villain or not. You know, he's definitely a bad guy type character because let's face let's face it. The trick that he plays on. uh, Oh, yeah. With smoking the joint. He's like, you know, oh, I can prove it to you that this could get in your head. And oh, no, no, no. And then like when she walks out, like you know, rolls up a cigarette and is like, smoke this joint. And then she's all like, oh, my heart rate, you know, and he's just, you know, he's fucking with her and everyone's all like, please don't fuck with my drunk friend. <laughs> and he does I, it anyway. She ain't never been, you know, had a head trip like this. And I just thought that's a a really rotten trick to play on somebody, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm all for practical jokes and, and tricks and whatnot, but faking her out with the fake joint is just... It's really uncomfortable. Uh, it's a dirty trick to play, and Greg is just pretty much as a is a complete asshole. Which I will say one thing: he at least does come back to apologize, although I don't think he means it like at all. 
Yeah, I think that was more of like a save face, you know, like type of thing was what I was like interpreting that as. I definitely agree. And and you really touched on something there too, like the, the uncomfortableness, you know. Um, I would characterize a lot of the interactions like in this movie as uncomfortable to watch, but not in that they were directed bad, but it was almost just like, a little too real. Oh, a little kind too of in the tense. way like Ari Aster mm-hmm. like does his like character interactions. Yeah, like they're uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just like you feel because you can remember a time where like you've done that to someone yourself or you've like witnessed it, you know. And so it was really putting me in mind as maybe as strange as this sounds, um, the, the interactions of Midsommar in the beginning, you know, like where you're just like, God, like some of this, you just, you don't really like anybody, but it's just because everyone is sort of just acting like a human being. And that's kind of uncomfortable to deal with. <laughs> and let's, let's face it, you know, humans are the worst anyway. So, you know, when they're doing bad things to each other, you know, in, in a horror movie, you know, we, I think we probably as, as filmmakers ourselves and as fans, get a little desensitized to the violence because the violence is you know it's not real but we become desensitized to it but at the same time these scenes like like you said uh with with the scene with uh, greg playing the trick on shirley is very real and you know i think we probably have all either like you said seen something like that done maybe been part of it ourselves or had it done to us so is this one of those you know bad, you know, party tricks that people play on each other. And it's just like, everybody's, you know, not laughing uh, with you, but laughing at you, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad because, you know, Shirley is a good person. She's one of the few good people in <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And she just is like, you know, her, her reaction after it with that just disdain for Joan afterwards, like, you know, when she's like, you think you're so perfect. You think you're so much better than me. Like, it's coming around the corner for you too, hun. Like, this this thing that I'm coming towards here that's barreling down upon me like a freight train. It, it's got you in its sights as well, you know? And the, the, the breakdown is essentially, I mean, uh, I think you hit on it well, Jesse, earlier. Was it's, it's about middle age. Middle or, you know, getting to middle age or to, you know, that stage between middle age and old age. Yeah, But it, it, uh, it, it makes you kind of wonder that if, like, Romero would have, like, stuck with that, like, maybe, like, a little bit more, like, how he would have developed as a storyteller. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is, like, clearly, you know, there was, like, a fork in the road, like, with his career, you know, and it's like, okay, like, you can go this way with it, you know, after the success of Dawn of the Dead, you know, or, you know, you can go back to like your art house stuff and like maybe just kind of fade into obscurity. And so it's like, I don't really blame him for going down the road he chose. And that was definitely not without hardship. I mean, he pretty much sat on his hands in the nineties because studios would just throw money at him to write scripts and then, you know, nothing would ever make it past the development stage. So, I mean, he, he paid for it in other ways, you know, but um, it, it would have been interesting to see if people would have just let George Romero develop how he wanted to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, and not tried to make him like pigeonholed into one thing because I think he would have like kept revisiting like films like this in addition to straight on horror because I think he was like a very full bodied person in his interests. 
Yeah, I and agree. it was weird because, like, after the success of, like, you know, the first three zombie films, like, you know, Night, Dawn, and Day, there was a huge gap where, like, again, he was trying to go back and do other things. And I think the one re- thing that, like, brought him back to, like, jumping back into the zombie world again was like i mean fans are always talking we need a fourth like you know dead movie like we need we need a fourth one and and i think it was the fans that like kind of made that happen um because he was doing some pretty like you know interesting weird experimental things like uh Night Riders and yeah. <laughs> you know silly well, the one movie but... is that he did that didn't even get rediscovered here until uh this past year the the amusement park have you heard of that one? I, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. And I, I've been really curious about that one. Because that was shot in 73, and that was just a kind of a thing about an old, old man kind of dealing with his old age and whatnot in a different way. I think uh, there was another movie but that was a lot like this one from what I understand and what I've read about it. But it's been rediscovered here in the last year or so, and apparently it's going to get see some sort of release. So I'd love oh. to. I'd love to, you know, get my hands on it. I mean, I think they said completed it's less than an hour. It's like 45, 50 minutes long, but I'd still be down to see it. I'm I'm pretty sure he shot um, a Season of the Witch, like, long before it was released. Like, it, I think he... it, it seemed, well, I mean, I don't want to say long before, but, like, you know, I don't, it like, 72 it says, but, like, there's too much... And I know there's overlap, like in you know decades, but I it, it really feels like he shot it like maybe sixty seven, sixty eight, just based on like the cars, the wardrobe, the hairstyles, you know. Yeah. So I think it was something he shot, and no one kind of put out for a while, and then seventy two was the official like release. A release date, you know, because it's it's definitely like because there's a trailer for it, and it's like you know, you know, he brought you. Night of the Living Dead, and then Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Living Dead, now Season of the Witch. And it's like, well, you know, that, <laughs> clearly this was made before Dawn. <laughs> yeah, this was clearly made like a good eight to ten years before Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, who knows? I, I wonder if there's any uh, information out there on that. I'd have to look it up. But Yeah, I was, <sighs> I was trying to find out when it was actually shot because I'm like I don't think it was 72. I mean that's on the IMDb but you know that's usually just like the based on release date. So Right, right. I mean what I had only thing I had read was that Romero had gotten married in 1971 and then he made this movie. Now, I don't know if the marriage <laughs> I don't know much about his personal life. I don't know how happy of a marriage it was, but if it he got married in the first movie he made afterwards was this i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) you know you okay there buddy (laughs) did you have to cope with some things you know (laughs) like it's all right we can talk we can talk right (laughs) (laughs) oh well what's the the next kind of like i'm gonna call it the what the fuck moment in this is after the you know uh shirley has her you know mental breakdown after taking two puffs off the smoke, you know, smoking the fake joint. And she just, you know, has her reefer madness freak out. Is that <laughs> the intruder and the whole, uh, like she, uh, Joan just happens to find the, to be a witch, a primer book. Oh, like, yeah. 
she, she just happens there, and then it's at her house, and then it's in her bed, you know. Yeah. yeah um, but the intruder scene, did you know who, who played the intruder? Yes, Bill Hensman. Bill, yeah, Bill Hensman, yes. Okay. The original cemetery ghoul, That that's yeah. right. Yeah, the intruder scene was a. Uh, it was very interesting. I mean, like those, one of those masks. You know, those are like technically, I, it probably was like put out by Ben Cooper, the mask. But like that specific style um, was very uh, time period specific. You know, so it wasn't just like the little molded mask like the kids would get. It's a very like unsettling style of dime store mask um that they also use for um oh oh jesus <laughs> that one movie um last house on dead end Street. thank you yeah. god like total brain fart there but it's the same <laughs> type of like mask that they like use for that which is like the cheap shitty masks right you know but they All have right. like this super horrific like <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like, that nightmares are made out of. They're really like the children's mask line are scary enough, but those like more like quote unquote adult ones that they were coming out with like in the seventies are really just like what is I'm happening? <laughs> like yeah, I want to know like who des- who literally designed some of these things and like pick their brains about like what what were you on possibly at the time when you made these because I, I want to know so I can avoid it. Oh my god, it's just like, so that just adds to this, like, hellishness of it, you know, like, the fact that it's not, like, a ski mask or something, but it's this, like, very unsettling, <laughs> like, I, Halloween mask is, uh, it's weird, it was a weird choice mm-hmm. to go with, like, for that, and, and I don't know if it was just, like, out of necessity, like, ah, shit, we gotta get something, the intruder should be wearing a mask, you know, or if it was, like, <laughs> deliberate <laughs> you know like if it's supposed to mean something or if i'm just reading too much into it <laughs> no that they, that was probably deli- deliberate or either that or it just was a happy happy accident but that i mean but uh yeah in the film it was like after that moment after like you know she kind of gets pissed off at the uh uh you know the teacher character like you know for pretending to like give her friend a joint that's when her dreams shift from her husband being an asshole to like the intruder guy in the mask right right it does take a tonal shift there yeah and and i think the intruder was supposed to represent the teacher the teacher Mm -hmm. because like she obviously like has the hots for that teacher even though like she won't admit it you know and that's like where the jealousy like with her daughter is coming in is because she just is kind of like oh that's who i wish i was like fucking right you know right and it's like i was young as my daughter i would have him you know exactly so i think the intruder is supposed to represent like this new person sort of entering in her life you know because like there's that whole bit you know like where the, she's catholic you know and like you know you can't do that's, that you know it's frowned upon you, you can't even think about that or whatever and so i think it's like think about it right yeah he's intruding into her world you know I, I, at least that's what i interpreted that scene mm-hmm. to be but then she goes straight from that. It's a weird tonal shift then because we get like two like nightmare sequences back to back and then she takes a trip going up into the city to go to, which is basically the 70s version of a head shop, you know, to go to this, uh, what, 
Oh, I forgot it was uh, what the name of the store even was, but she w- went to go buy her. I call it the scene where she buys her witch's brew goodies. Yeah. You know, like because the I don't even think they really show the name of the store, but it's like, like it's just like a head shop a from the shop and like like a head shop witchy shop, like you know, buys her incense and her bells and candles. <laughs> <laughs> And and then yeah, she gets back and kind of sets some of the stuff up on like a table, and the cat jumps up on it, and I'm just like walking too precariously close to the candles. I'm like, the cat's gonna knock shit over. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. When I was watching this, I kept thinking, oh, but they even had a note like, oh, there's a what a pretty kitty. This cat's not safe. This cat is not safe at all. Like I thought for sure the cat was gonna get like off in some sort of sacrifice, which. Kudos to them for not going that route. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they don't go that route really at all. Because, um. I mean, it's not a horror movie. It's, yeah. it's, a scary, it's, a, it's scary at times. It's very scary with some of the nightmare sequences and whatnot. But you really couldn't call this a horror movie at all. It, it, anybody that calls it a horror movie is really misrepresenting it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more of like, you know... Yeah. I wouldn't say thriller, but like a dark drama, you know, like early dark drama kind of thing. I think he wanted it probably to be more of a thriller than it came off. (laughs) Like, I get the sense that, like, you know, perhaps like in his mind when he like originally came up with it, maybe like in his mind it was a lot more edgier, you know, and then like in execution it just sort of... (laughs) Like like he was attempting to make like, you know, a genre Lin film or you know, a very art house kind of sleazy, you know, moments, you know, like all of, all of that stuff was kind of there, but he never took it far enough. Yeah. He he wanted to be just Franco, but (laughs) didn't quite, you know, pull the trigger. So then it just sort of like, it comes into this like weird, like, okay, well, what what is this? It's very ho-hum, you know. (laughs) It's it's not like Jean at all. <laughs> it doesn't really doesn't really have that same kind of feel. And I did make a note here. It said that uh, I think I might have got this off of the IMDb or the Wikipedia page that the editing for this film, the rumor had it that almost half of the footage shot ended up on the cutting room floor. Like he threw half of the film away. So it makes oh, me wonder, like, what what else was there? Oh, yeah, what else and. Was there? Yeah, and it could have been cut down because, like, well, you could never release this like this, and no one's going to watch that. Which, you know, having other people above you dictating your art, you know, is I, I think is a terrible thing. So, like, who knows? Maybe there could have been more footage. I wonder if it survived. I wonder if there could be, like, footage floating around that's able to be tracked down. Because I'm curious as to, how, like, yeah, how far he was going to go with some of this because there's a lot of great setups to things that just have no follow through right right it's like there was a lot of great setups but there was just they didn't drive that punch home yeah Yeah. the ending was the only thing you know and we'll get there that i think kind of took it to that like next step up (laughs) you know we'll get there (laughs) I, i felt like like the next couple of scenes were very random you know, she she gets her her goodies from you know the witch's brew shop, which which I labeled it because there was no name <laughs> to the shop, and you know she goes through a lot of random spell casting and incantations, and then she gives a little bit of a blood offering, which I made a note here that can't be good. Anytime you give a blood offering, I'm sorry, you know at least in uh, 
in movie lore and in Hollywood land, that's never a good thing. It never really quite comes back to haunt her like I thought it would, but uh, this still is one of those. I can watch any type of gore, and, and but like the, the whole pricking of the finger was just like, oh, nope, you just went over the line there, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like... This like I I don't get it if it's bad boy syndrome or it was again just a, a, a an old age thing. But then Joan bangs Greg. She uh-huh. she bangs the guy that was just banging her daughter. And ew, this is ew. <laughs> There's no other way to describe that. That I can't even imagine having a child and then being like I I wonder what they've been fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then when Joan meets up with Marion again and, and fully confesses, like, I already thought, like, by this point, she had already became a member. But then she says, I want to be a member. She's like, I, it's not a matter of believing. I have to map. It's a matter of knowing. And then it goes right into another couple of those home invasion nightmares. And, and, and I've, I've got I got to add that, like, she's now drinking straight Jack. She's not drinking wine and drinking champagne with her friends like she used to. Now she's dabbling in witchcraft and got a bottle of straight Jack. Let's move and... into the hard stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, then, then she fucks Greg again. As you do. <laughs> As you do, because if you get a taste of what your daughter's been having, of course you want a second taste, I guess, because you, I don't get it. <laughs> And then we finally have the, what I consider the big moment for her is the big revelation. At a one hour and 12 minutes, she finally says the line, I'm a witch. And she calls upon uh, Greg to come back to, the, to to come back to her house. I think she just wanted to really just wanted to fuck again, to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> but she's like, I need another one to conjure Virago or Virago. And he's like, you're talking about the devil, right? And he's, she's like, no, 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 no. And he, he's just like, no, you're talking about the devil. <laughs> and then has the most ridiculous line. The most ridiculous line of the whole movie or the sequence is when he's trying to convince her. He's roughing her up. You mm. know, he, he was the facilitator of the whole fucking Me Too movement in 1972, I'm telling you. <laughs> but- but he's just like, it's just balling, baby. You wanted to get bald, you got bald. It's just balling, lady. I'm like, oh, Greg, you couldn't have been any more of an asshole. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from and, there. And I'm sure a lot of that was going on then and was continuing to go along, like, you know, behind the scenes. But mm. I will have to say, the, to me, the best thing about this movie is the fact that they don't kill the kitty. They don't kill the kitty. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm, we just like for instance just get off on a tangent about another movie i just uh for the romero show and it's not out yet but in the state space time continuum uh it's been recorded we did monkey shines the other night mm. and you know i have yeah love the movie but you know it's a little bit too animal cruelty for me you know it's uh i'm, I'm team ella on that one uh the wrong the wrong animal died in that movie you know this you can kill people all day long in a movie. I don't really care. Start killing cats and dogs and monkeys and stuff like that. And then I got a problem with you. We have to have issues. Uh, but they don't, don't do watch that. The Hunt. The Hunt? Oh, it's from a really, really funny political film that fuck you to everyone. But don't, don't oh, yeah. watch yeah. it. 
I, 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 I watched it. I watched it. I, I actually, I actually like it. I actually like it. I, I, I can, uh, I can close my eyes for that scene. Yeah. <laughs> but still, yeah. Don't, don't, don't abide by animal cruelty. So, but this, this movie gets a good, uh, a cool point for me because I, they kept showing all these lingering shots of the cat. Like, okay, I'm, my butthole was puckering up. I'm like, when are they going to kill the cat? Because there's always there's shots of her burning incense and you know doing incantations and she's got that knife. I'm like that fucking cat's dying. Like for real, that's well, gonna no, happen. I mean, well, well, a cat is is typically considered a familiar, so that's that's not something a witch would ever sacrifice. You know, I, I guess I should have picked up on that, but still, I'm just like weird, creepy lady got a knife. The poor kitty's just minding his own business. That cat's gonna die, but I was wrong. <laughs> but, but yeah, then it gets really weird from from this point. I mean, well, like not that it's not weird from the get go, because yeah. it's still got a lot of the trippy sound effects, a, a couple more nightmare sequences. You know, we got Gray, Greg and Joan going at it. I really thought she was going to stab him. I kept waiting mm-hmm. for her to kill him because he just kind of watches her and he just, oh, I'm just going to lay down here and just kind of ignore. This lady who's obviously starting to lose her mind a little bit, you know, is playing with knives in the corner. I'm like, you, you never fall asleep po- post or uh, post coital when <laughs> your 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 lover, who is not really your lover, but your daughter's your your lover's mother or whatever, <laughs> you know, when they're playing with knives in the corner, you just don't don't do it. But she, no, she simply just tells them, I don't want to see you again. Don't ever come back. I don't want to ever see you again and go away. And and she has more of the Virago incantations that she's trying to summon. And, you know, this is the po- point where I pretty much have believed that I did not see this. I'm convinced that if I did watch it, I never finished it or I just put it out of my mind because I saw it at a way too young of an age and it went way over my head. To interpret it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be able to interpret to what the hell. It was more, much more easy to interpret something like Creepshow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more straightforward. But then we get more of the masked intruder. And, I mean, this is where the the big what-the-fuck moment is coming because this is the end of the movie. Her husband, Jack, who has been away on a business uh, meeting, you know, on a business venture, comes home and she shotguns him like right oh, through the front. Oh, right here's, the front. here's what I think. Uh, let, uh, let me know your thoughts and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts of what happened. Oh, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty much straightforward that, that she just point blank murdered him. I mean, I, I didn't think it any other way. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm totally missing something, but I, I felt like she just wanted, wanted to use that as an excuse to be able to murder her husband to get out of it, to get out of that bad relationship. And I mean, that could very well, it is, it, it was just, it, it ends so vaguely um, because her daughter never comes back into the picture. Like she gets a phone. She does get the phone call that, that where somebody yeah. says like, they found and like, Oh yeah. The- yeah. In four days we could like, you know, do something, but they're, they're not specific or follow up on whatever, they found her. She's alive. Like she's here, but it's going to take four days. Whatever that means. Whatever four days means to get her home. I don't know. But then, yeah, uh, her husband comes home, uh, gets dropped off because he doesn't have his car. So it's raining, and he's locked out of the house. Like the, and then 
it's the shotgun goes off and it's it's actually a pretty because this is even pre tom savini working with him like tom savini's not on this film so this this gag is pretty pretty rough like brutal for the time you know yeah shotgun <laughs> um but like I don't think it was her because she was already at the initiation with the witches. And this is where he goes some like full on like Jess Franco, Gene Rowan. It's very, there's full nudity, like not full like frontal or anything, but you see her butt, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, she's she's going there. She's getting initiated with the witches uh, when the husband comes home. And so I think. It was, you know, the teacher. Oh, you, you know, big was, and addressed. Marion. And then was, skipped out. That's what I think. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I'd have to watch it again. I'd have to watch it again, but you might be onto something there. I just but thought maybe don't it, explain it was anything. They absolutely don't explain any of it. It just cuts to her at a party. And she's like, you know, like everyone's laughing and stuff and so and so, you know, one woman comes up to her and says something and she's like, I'm a witch. <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, what What about the husband? Like, like what happened to the husband and why are you still here? Yeah. Right. She's like, oh, you remember her was was Jack's wife. You know, you remember Jack's wife. Like, they, that's the only mention they make of it. I mean, which is... Mm-hmm. Doesn't explain a damn thing. This movie, yeah. this movie, is a lot like Phantasm in a lot of ways, where it poses a hell of a lot more questions than it answers. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why? Why are they those little uh, like? Uh, <laughs> why are they little people that look like Jawas? You know. Jawas, yeah. Why are there a bunch of Jawas? Because I don't get cemetery it. magic, duh. <laughs> yeah. Why do they got to crush people down, you know, crush their spinal cords down so their torsos are about half the size and crush them down to three foot tall? Why? Because. Because of the their interplanetary slaves, right? I mean, duh. Duh. Right? <laughs> but yeah, if, if if you go back and watch the last 15 minutes, um, I don't think it's her. I think because they never show her face. It's all like weird shadow. So I think it's like trying to pull something like, you know... Alfred Hitchcock's, you know, Psycho, where it's like somebody in a dress and a wig shoots her husband. And, like, maybe he's trying to free her because he knows, like, oh, this is what her hang-up is. But then they never, I mean, they honestly never go back into, well, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) He's just laying there twitching as he's bleeding to death and just kind of twitching. Twitchy dying, and that's it. And then there's that really, there's that real cringeworthy voiceover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She wasn't home, and it was locked from the inside. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. And then, you know, it's that chauvinistic kind of thing where the cops are like, well, you know, the woman will get away with it. They always get what they want. It was just so (laughs) cringeworthy. Uh, but it was. I don't, I don't think. It, I don't think it was her. I, I think it was um, the teacher. It might have been. You know, I'd have to. Like I said, I'd have to watch it over again and kind of go over it a little bit more frame by frame and just kind of check it out. But you know, you, you are right though. I, I don't think you know with, with the shots they do kind of sh- 
you know, shoot it a little oddly, you know, where you don't really see, uh, you don't see her face. If I, you think you're right. And, and not that I'm opposed to open ended, like, you know, draw your own conclusion kind of endings. Um, the cube, the first cube movie I love because they set up all the different theories of how, what, why, you know, the cube could be. And then like, you know, the last character just walks out into bright light and you don't know. You don't get to know. It's like, yep, he just he solved it and he walked out and that's it. You don't know if it was aliens. You don't know if it was like the government. Like, I mean, it leaves it like so like, ah, what the fuck? Right. And it's kind of how this ends because she just ends up at the party and she's like, I'm a witch. Right. And, okay, and that's so where's the petition for us to do the remake now? <laughs> yeah, that's a, the petition, at least to do uh, a, a remake or a slash sequel that picks up with Joan years later to, like, telling her story of what the <laughs> fuck really happened to her husband and why she be, why did she become a witch? Or did she actually become a witch? Or was <laughs> she just full of shit? I don't know. Joan's like, you know, it, it goes to Joan and she's like in like a nursing home, you know, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, she's like crazy. And then like she gets back <laughs> up to her supernatural ways, you know, it could totally be like the Exorcist 3, you know, where it's like a solid follow up plus like scarier than the original. You know, I oh. I think there's something to this. <laughs> yeah, we should probably make a petition to do that. You know, I, so. I, I kind of see a new age uh, Bubba Hotep, you know, coming here, you know, because <laughs> Because, you know, it'd be like, you know, she could be like, I'm a witch. And we're right. Like, yeah, yeah, right. And there's a guy down the hall that thinks he's fucking Elvis, too. You know, take enough <laughs> crazy lady. Oh, my God. So uh, I, I got to ask, what, um, what, what's your final takeaway from this movie? I mean, uh, you know, uh, I usually do a, a final thoughts and, and review of it uh, and rating, I should say, on a scale from one to ten. So. I'll leave it to the the two of you to, to whichever order you want to go in. What's your final thoughts and uh, rating on the, this little ditty season of the witch? Well, um, I tend to be pretty harsh on movies, so I'll just I'll just precursor it with that. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I, my final thoughts on the movie were. I, I don't think that it was ever fully realized. realized. Yes, um, that it was fully realized. Um, so, uh, you know, it really drags down a notch. It, it's probably one of the weakest in the Romero um, canon. You know, um, personally, I think I like it. There's always Vanilla better, which is the one that most people consider his, his, his worst movie. <laughs> But I actually think uh, there's always Vanilla lands better than Season of the Witch. So in my own personal ratings of it, I'd say that it's probably like the bottom tier of his work. And I'd honestly put it at like a four because I think it could have been better. We know that he made better movies before that. So, you know, I don't know if this was something that he was sort of like rushing to get out, you know, like maybe it was part of like a Canon package, you know, where he, he didn't have the time that he wanted with it. I mean, and I think he tried, but it also looks like maybe they, they shot it in like a week or two, you know, and um, yeah, so I'm going to have to put it at a four and that, that doesn't mean I don't think people should like rush out and like see it. Cause definitely people need to to watch it because it is 
a very interesting part of his career, but um, definitely not the best. And honestly, if it wasn't Romero who directed it, it probably would have completely just faded into obscurity. And Marcus? I... I, I kind of like it because it's the weird one, you know? <laughs> but then again, I like a lot of really bad stuff, so that's not saying much, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, I like bad films for being bad films because they're unapologetic. Like, they're just there, <laughs> you know? <sighs> so, I, I don't know. I'd probably rate it maybe a seven. <laughs> <laughs> It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I, like, I mean, it, it, it took a turn for the weird. Like, he was trying some experimental stuff, um, and, and I I love things for just being weird and experimental. Um, <laughs> I kind of wish there was some explanation, but then, like, I think, like, well, oh, fuck, I love films with no explanation. So, I, yeah, I'm kind of torn. <laughs> right. You know, I... I kind of agree with both of it a little bit, uh, a little bit of both of what you were saying, you know, it's, it's more of the, the lower tier of his work. Um, I'm glad I finally seen it, uh, considering that I'm not really sure that I had ever seen it before. You know, like I said, I'm pretty sure I had, but I must've pushed it out of my mind, but I, I enjoy it for the trippiness of it. You know, the kind of psychedelic uh, romps that it takes the, the nightmare sequences are great. And I kind of, I, I kind of see what Romero was trying to do, but like you both y'all said, it, it just didn't feel like it was fully realized. And even if Romero himself had said that, you know, it is the one movie of his own that was held back by budget and it was, you know, didn't come out the way that he wanted. I mean, if obviously if he cut out half the film and left half of it on the cutting room floor, he was probably unhappy with it himself. And if he labeled it as the only movie of his that he would like to remake, that says a lot coming from Romero. But (laughs) I I still enjoy it. And for me, anything at a five or under, I can't recommend anybody to watch. So I give it a five and a half because I feel like I would (laughs) just just watch it to see it. If if, if you're a fan of Romero's films, like and you've seen Night Raiders and you've seen Monkey Shines and you know, of course, everyone's cruiser it. and everything you know, else. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fuck. Fuck it. Give it a watch. It's it's a weird one, you know. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I don't think anybody like... would be disappointed in watching it once. I don't feel like it's a movie that I need to own because I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. watch it, enough, you know, but I yeah, definitely watch it. Yeah, definitely. You won't feel like you wasted your time with it, you know, um, which no. is cool. Um, and, and Romero is one of those directors where even when it's not like his best day, it's like, you can still watch it. <laughs> you right. know? Even on his worst day, he's better than most people. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's some directors out there where their worst is truly their worst. And it's like, oh, I cannot like make it through this shit. You know, it's not some of the later post land of the dead films. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, they're so hard. They're so hard. Uh, I, I I have to say uh, that I'm not a fan of Survival of the Dead, but I do like Diary of the Dead. Oh, I did. I did like. Yeah, that, uh, I don't hear many people give that one praise. So I mean, I actually like commend that. You know, like that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't put it on a pedestal or anything, but out of uh, the, the the secondary trilogy, I think it's the best one. Uh, if I if I had to rate the you know the best the, in the in the new the new trilogy of of dead movies, I'd probably go Diary, 
land and then survival. Um, that that'd be my order. Nah. But uh, yeah, and I was always <laughs> in the camp, like you know, of course, growing up, like you know, with the Living Dead films, you know, it's like, gosh, can't somebody give this man a budget to make like a fourth Living Dead film, like? Let's get an afternoon of the Living Dead or whatever. You know, I don't give a <laughs> You know, brunch Twilight of the Living Dead. But like Mid midday of the it, dawn. And of then the it dead. finally happened. And I was like, this film sucks a lot. Like, you know, the makeup's good, but like it didn't make it a good film. Like for, forever for me, like sky flowers. I'm like, don't I don't ever want to. You don't ever want to hear about sky flowers ever again. <laughs> oh, um, the, and, and it was at that moment I was like, God damn it! I wish, I wish George Romero would go back and make like weird shit, like fucking <laughs> monkey shines and you know, two well, evil eyes. I, I, was, I will still stand in saying that my favorite uh, Romero film of all time is still is and always will be uh, the Dark Half. That's oh, nice. oh fuck yeah that's nice. that's oh fuck yeah. that's another one people don't talk about he's a high toned son of a bitch like yeah that's uh -huh. uh, fucking yes that's a, well whenever you put well because it's Stephen King, King like, he yeah. got you put Stephen, Stephen King, King and, and Romero together works right you put Stephen King and Romero together it was magic it yeah. it just was simple magic yeah they, they and really with, did get each other you know it it was cool you know and um. Unlike Mick Garris, I don't think Mick Garris. <laughs> Mick Garris reads a lot of Stephen King and fucking owns rights to a lot of Stephen King, but I don't think Mick Garris gets Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. God not damn. quite. Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, we need to do a whole like another, Stephen King breakdown. <laughs> that's like, another podcast. Have us back on for like that, you know? <laughs> we got. Yeah, we'll have you come back on. Well, next month we're doing a dedication to another director that I'm keeping un under wraps for now. I'll tell about tell you all about it in uh, oh. on Messenger, but uh, can't wait to hear. <laughs> yeah, you have to get you in on in this one. But um, before we go tonight. Uh, I'd like you all to uh, kind of maybe give everybody a, an idea of where to find your stuff and what you're working on here recently. You know, I know 2020 has been a a, a bit of a bastard a that way. Of putting, <laughs> yeah, a shit year for projects because it was shaping up to be my busiest year and it it just killed everything, everything. But, you know, where can people find you and, you know, where can they find your wares? Um... Well, right now I, I'm revamping a little bit of a website. So right now my work is available nowhere because <laughs> um, I like being serious. No, um, no, I just, I'm lazy and overbooked at the same time simultaneously and just need to get my, my web store um, uh, backed up. Um, but uh, if you follow me on Facebook or on Instagram, which is Jesse Sites is Spooky, um, you can, uh, I'll post updates when my stuff's for sale again. Um, this year has actually been, for me, like, pretty busy, like, in terms of, like, I, okay, <laughs> so not a lot of traveling work. No, yeah, not that a lot is. of traveling work, but okay, like there's one project I can't publicly talk about yet, but like um, I was able to to pitch and write the story for, and then am in the process of directing something for like um, that's pretty big for me and pretty important to me, but that will be announced 
sometime like next year because we want to get more of it in the can before we start talking about it. Um, but I'm super enthused and I think people are going to freak out about it. <laughs> and uh, that's really the only time that we got to travel this year was for that movie. And Marcus is doing the effects like for it. And So it's gorgeous. Wait a minute. Marcus does effects? When yeah, did you Marcus start that? Effects. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> um, and then I'm producing the first anthology that highlights women in extreme cinema. So not the first anthology with women in horror, because that has been done, but specifically extreme cinema. And it's called Fucked. And we should be... I love the title, by the way. (laughs) I I love the title of that. A title that will get banned pretty much everywhere (laughs) on social media. Right. uh, (laughs) We uh, we have some phenomenal directors as a part of that, and that should be wrapping up like around New Year's. And so again, like we're like aiming to have like a spring release of that project. Um, And of course, as you know, like with the state, that everything is like in you know trying to like navigate. You know what is the best way to release your film? Yeah, because there's no more (laughs) theaters are going dark again, so that's not a good thing. Um, uh, Film festivals aren't happening, so that's not a good thing. There's a lot of film festivals that are, you know, kind of moving to a virtual online thing, but it's not the same as you know going to see a movie in a theater. No. So it's trying to navigate that. And like, you know, when you have like a new project coming out, it's like this right now as filmmakers, I think we're all sort of doing this dance of like, okay, like what's going to happen? Uh, what's like, thrown at like, us like, next week? Like, do I, do I wait to see if some of the stuff comes back and I, do I hold back or do I just like simply just say, you know what, this is the world that we're living in now and I need to like get my work out there, you know? And I think a lot about, you know, the stylist and, you know, Jill worked, very hard to like get that you know into feature length mode and then it of course it gets released like during this time which is like the craziest time to try to release like a movie and Mm -hmm. you know and and she's partnered with like some good online festivals to where it could get it but i feel bad because i feel like that that movie definitely would have had a proper theatrical release you know um that she would have like seen had she not been in the time frame that she was in you know but i really like commend her for just like going ahead and still releasing it because it's like it she needed to you know she'd been waiting like for so long and it's sort of like you know you don't know when the world's gonna get back to like you know whatever the hell normal was you know before we entered this you know so yeah it's a it's a weird time but uh, marcus has like some cool stuff that he's been working on ah okay so yeah what have i been working on um i've got (laughs) Um, hope, <laughs> let me start off with Beyond Horror, like our film, like, you know, Jesse's also the main director. Um, we lost a hard drive containing the edit and, and it was a, it, you know, cause I had the edit spread out through four different hard drives and then I bought a new hard drive and I'm like, I should consolidate everything. And this brand new hard drive totally took a shit on us. So we lost all of Beyond Horror. Now, granted, we've had the film festival cut out for about a year. So we've still got those files and those DVDs. 
And sadly, that's all I have to work with. Like during the lockdowns, we managed to get a few more interviews and this, and I was working on this like super extended cut. And yeah, all of that is gone with the wind. Uh, so yeah, I've uh, the last that. couple weeks, the worst thing ever to happen to an editor or a filmmaker. Like yeah, that just happened. So, but I've been like last couple weeks, I've been like putting together like kind of a newer cut. It's it's not what it was, you know, but like. <laughs> You know, I, I just got to get it done and out. And, like, you know, I'd spent, like, you know, all of lockdown making this, like, big super cut of it. And to lose all of that, it's like I had <laughs> sadness. But, like, um... Right. Kind of keeps know, you in the, in, the, in the corner in the fetal position for a little while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel like right now. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to replay back together it's not the same cut i had but like you know it's it's coming together well little by little I'm putting it together um other project i got going um also during lockdown i reached out to filmmakers from around the world and i was like hey i know you got n not much to work with and not much to do because we can't you know we have to do all the socially distancing but like make a weird film like if you can like some people and you know they could film whatever they could take you know film it themselves in their house or film it with friends you know as long as you know stay safe obviously right right um yeah so i had filmmakers from all over the world and i just reached out to everyone um and i'm putting this project together called symbolicus and pretty much all it is is a collection of weird films shot or edited in quarantine <laughs> to give artists something, a creative outlet to like work on something or a little, you know, goal. Because there was, you know, a, being artists, a lot of us get depressed. A lot of that depression can yeah. turn dark. And, you know, so, so I was just, yeah, trying to give my, you know, people who I consider my friends, like, you know, hey, make something you know like keep your mind occupied and so that's kind of what symbolicus is and we've got everything well the first yeah there's like over 30 directors so i've got the first volume almost put together and hopefully in the next couple weeks i can start making announcements and getting that out out and about nice. so well, you, you got me down for a copy yeah heck yeah, yeah. I love the t I love the title though. By the way, it's symbolicus. It's it's just got a nice ring to it. Ah, and it's weird. Like it's it's a little of everything. Like I, you know, I'm like, I, I didn't want things to be specifically like, you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to make an extreme film, or you know, or an, or an extreme anthology. Um, it, it's whatever anything goes. So like, you know, the content was literally up to the filmmakers. So yes, I've got some gore. Yes, I've got some like stop motion animation. Yes, it's got, <laughs> uh, pseudo snuff films. Yes, it's got like I don't even know what the fuck I'm watching or how to explain it to anyone. <laughs> it's some really weird abstract shit. Some of it, and I love it. I love it. I love everyone's just creative carte blanche. So yeah, that's where Symbolicus is going. 
and 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 it's set for three volumes might hit a fourth volume because I've, I've got more directors approaching me now that we're getting the first one kind of wrapped up and about to be released that's awesome well i mean you know, at least you guys are putting your best foot forward and creating you know new content you know so many people are just stuck like a car stuck in the mud you know with 2020 oh yeah not knowing I mean, what they can so do hard. so it's so hard like like you know to 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 make a film like now with all like you know covid restrictions it's it's really difficult you know i mean like you know we had to be super careful shooting what we shot last month you know everyone getting tested <laughs> like before we start shooting everyone get tested at the rapid shoot it was only a four-day shoot but like you know got tested got tested again and like okay we're all fine and that's now three four weeks ago so mm-hmm. we're like okay we didn't fuck up we didn't get anybody on our set sick so and, and a very limited crew you know yeah. i mean like crews are you know with lower budgets limited anyway but we're talking like Skeletal crew <laughs> with the stuff. Um, which a skeletal is, crew that's missing a couple bones, probably. Yes, yeah. and, and that's like always challenging, and you know. But um, yeah, I mean, for us, it's like, and and we got a lot of shit. You know, I mean, I'm not afraid to to talk about this because I think that this is a uh, kind of bullshit. Um, you know, uh, I have a stack of angry emails across various social media platforms and gmail um where people are just straight bitching at me for working during this time and you know no matter how many times marcus try to convey and i try to convey to people you know like this is what we do for a living you know we're special effects artists you know we we work on films we create our own films um people still view you as like a hobbyist or they don't like take it seriously for like whatever reason yeah unfortunately and, that happens a lot even and, me. yeah and i just you know which one is like shitty because you know it's not on anyone else to like judge that but like in this time they're looking at it like oh you're shooting so you're being reckless because this was like an optional activity for you and it's like no we're shooting because that's what we do for a living and if we want to have anything for ourselves now or next year we can't really stop because this is what we do and um they don't realize it's how you pay your bills and how you put food on the table yeah exactly and you know artists like a lot of artists and we were definitely in that boat you know like we we, we're struggling and we don't get unemployment you know um there was no one who has employed us (laughs) in the last like several years there's there's nothing to draw on and yeah you can try to apply for these little patch programs but they don't always go through and we were definitely in that boat where we outside of a stimulus check like did not get anything and so you know to have people kind of come at you and just be shitty about it um, you're gonna kill people yeah i mean it was really just you know it's like if i was people are the worst people are you know and i'm like you know you wouldn't yell at me if i was working at a grocery store right now which is definitely not beneath me at all you know but i'm just saying you know but we can't get hired but we can't get hired because those jobs are full right now you know like i can't where i live at you know, those jobs are not open. And so I have to do what I have to do, you know, like to keep, 
you know, roof over our head. And so it, it's just been like a very complicated and um, hard year made harder when people kind of take like that attitude with like filmmakers. It's like, no, this is like what we do and we have to continue to do it unless you want to pay our bills. Then by all means, yeah, I'll stay home. I, you know? I mean, like, you know, tell these people, like, listen, you can bitch at me when you pay this light bill. You're right. You know? <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. you, when you're paying for my food and my my meds and whatnot, like, then you can bitch about what I do with my life. And it yeah. sounds like you guys are doing it the right way. Like you said, you, you filmed, you got people tested, you had a limited crew, you got tested afterwards, nobody got sick. You know, it'd be different if like, well, there was a, a, you know an outbreak and 14 people on set got sick. Then I could see somebody bitching, but nobody got sick. Everybody's fine, you know? Everybody's uh, fine with that, you know? Hey, so- People just got to stick their nose in everybody else's businesses. Just kind of is the problem with the world. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, but, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, welcome to 2020, where everything is two steps up and one step back, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that being said, I think we can call this an end. Yeah, now. we're at the hour and uh, minute mark. <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to thank uh, the two of you for coming on the show. I've been doing this for a couple of months now, and I've been anxious to get you on for a special show. And uh, this kind of seemed like the right time uh, to do it. So thank you for joining me for season of the witch. And, oh, uh, <laughs> and when we're off the air here in just a couple seconds, I'll let you know my my second little uh, secret that we're doing, and see if we can get you on for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who knows the secrets of the earth? Who rides with the wind and is endowed with the powers of the moon? Descend and be present. Descend and appear to us within this circle.